Hello, I'm Rod Butler. Welcome to Let God Speak. Jesus told wailing mourners that Jairus' daughter was not dead, but was sleeping. Jesus then raised her from the dead. He told his disciples that Lazarus sleeps when he was actually dead and he was going to wake him up. He then raised him from the dead in perhaps the most spectacular public miracle of his ministry. This sounds pretty straightforward that Jesus taught that death is like sleep until the resurrection, does it not? Well, there are other sections of scripture that on first reading indicate that death is not asleep. Have your Bibles ready as we unpack these contrary passages that seem to teach immortality of the soul. On our panel today, we have John Malkovich and Kylie Fisher. Welcome, John. Welcome, Kylie. Thank you. Before we start our discussion, let's bow for prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for the Bible. As we discuss these contrary passages, we ask for the Holy Spirit to guide our discussion. Mm. May we and the viewers understand the true meaning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the first contrary passage we're going to look at is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And it's found in uh, Luke chapter 16 from verses 29 to 26. But I'm going to pick up the story from verse 22 and read from verse 22. And it says, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels unto Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest the good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great goal fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So this is quite interesting, Kylie. What was the, what's the setting of this story? Yeah, so it's so important for us to understand the context, especially when looking at these kind of difficult passages. So we actually have to go back to the previous chapter to understand it. And uh, if we look at Luke chapter 15 and verse 1, It says, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And then if we go into the next verse, we see also that there was Pharisees and scribes there. And so Jesus was talking to a mixed audience. And he then told three really well-known parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. Yeah. And then... um, Then in chapter 16, he then told the parable of the unjust steward, which is also a bit tricky to understand. It's not really on our topic today, so Mm. we're we're not going to go there. But um, so in in these parables and, and a parable is a short story that's designed to teach some spiritual truth. It was something that the hearers could really relate to. And then it's interesting that in verse 14, the Pharisees who were listening 
it says that they were lovers of money. They also heard these things and they derided him. And so this parable of the rich man and Lazarus uh, is actually based on a, a story or a sort of a myth that the Pharisees had. Uh, but Jesus actually took their story and gave it a really interesting twist. And uh, it's it's interesting that, yeah, like when we look at this at first glance, it seems to teach the immortality of the soul. But actually, Jesus, with his subtle twists, he actually exposed the errors of what the Pharisees believed about the immortality of the soul. And one other point is that Luke was also primarily writing to a Greek audience. This is the only gospel um, of the four gospels that contains this parable. And the Greeks also believed in the immortality of the soul. So it's particularly directed at at um, those false mm. beliefs and actually addressing them. Very good. John, just based on what Kylie said, what then is the key point to come to understand with this uh, this uh, text? It's, 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 it's very important to to understand that the key point is, is it literal? And if you decide to take it literally, then it opens up contradictions with the rest of the Bible. And um, for example, you can quickly see, we would have to admit that heaven and hell are close. And you just read there was a great gap between Gulf, yeah. Yeah, a great gulf between them. Uh, especially to think they have to be that close to carry on a conversation <laughs> between the dwellers of both places. We would have to suppose that in the afterlife, while the body lies in the grave, there remains a conscious form of spiritual soul, which has eyes, a finger, uh, a tongue, uh, and even feels first. The con- this contradicts other sections. And I want to just share a couple with you. And if we turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, this is what the Bible says. We've got to look in the context now of the whole messages in the Bible. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. That's, not, that's number one. Neither have they any more a reward, for their memory of them is forgotten. And verse 6 also says, Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. So it's very clear. The dead know nothing and um, thoughts perish. So where are we? We're in the grave resting and sleeping. Mm. We're just expanding on that thought. Um, Kylie, if this is literal, what does it indicate about heaven? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, the first thing actually that I noticed when you were reading the passage was that in the passage, heaven is described as Abraham's bosom. I mean, can the whole of the righteous fit into Abraham's bosom? Well, just on that um, point, Kylie, that word bosom in the king is from the Greek word kolpus, which literally means the space between your arms on your, on your chest. So how could heaven fit there? Yeah, yeah. And also uh, heaven is, you know, a place of happiness. And so if the righteous are there and they're constantly seeing uh, the wicked burning in hell for all eternity, how could that possibly bring happiness to those who, you know, genuinely love others? It just makes absolutely no sense. And, uh, you know, the book of Revelation is really an amazing book and um, it's got many prophecies, but it's also got many beautiful promises. And um, 
I think one of the most beautiful promises is Revelation 21 verse 4, which says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Mm. If the wicked are suffering forever, that promise cannot be fulfilled. Mm. Uh, I mean, that's a very clear promise and it's, mm. it's in line with God's character. Mm. Very powerful. So, John, if this, this is a parable, mm-hmm. why then did Jesus tell the Jews this parable? Well, I think we need to have a look in the Bible and turn to Luke chapter 16, verses 27 to 31. And this is what we read. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and, his, and his, the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So there's, there's a few things that I would like to mention about this. The first one is, in this life, Everyone decides his eternal destiny. There's no question about it. Everyone does. And the second point is Jesus was illustrating that the rich are not highly favoured by God and guaranteed entry into heaven, while the poor are condemned. Mm. Uh, you know, so that's, that's something the Jews held on to. You know? And the third one is those who don't faithfully follow God in this life will not choose to do so even if God sends a miraculous miracle. Mm. And we see that. In fact, the Jews still did not want to believe in Jesus um, as the Messiah, even when, they, when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Yeah, it's interesting because not only did they not believe, they wanted to kill Lazarus because some people did believe. Yes. That's rejection. Mm. Yeah, mm. message. So, you know, you, you've got to, you, we all have to look at it in the context of what Jesus was trying to tell us. Mm. Thank you. Okay, well, look, let's move on now to our next uh, contrary passage. And this passage is uh, Luke 23, and it's verses 39 to 43, and it's about the thief on the cross. And I'm going to pick up the story from verse 39. And it says, And one of the malefactors which was hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou now fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Well, before we get to the key text here, I want to go back to verse 39. Verse 39 says, this thief says, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Kylie, how much did these thieves know about Jesus or heard about Jesus as the Messiah before they were hanging on the cross? Yeah, so I think this is actually just such an incredible story in terms of salvation besides the the question of immortality of the soul. So Luke 23 and verse 32 says, There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. 
And um, so it's really clear when you look at the Gospels that Jesus was widely known throughout Palestine in the time when he was alive. You know, just every time that Jesus did, many times when Jesus did a miracle, you know, the Gospel writers record about how his just his fame went out throughout all the land. Um, There's at least eight verses that you could look at that state that really plainly. And also um, thinking again about context, you know, the Messiah was the hope of the Jewish nation for thousands of years. Everyone had been looking forward to the advent of the Messiah. John the Baptist had proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. And so, yeah, like he was just so widely known. And so it's really hard for me to believe that the thieves would not have heard about Jesus, especially when you consider the following that John the Baptist had amongst the tax collectors, Mm. the publicans, Matthew, the tax collector, was one of Jesus' disciples not long before this Zacchaeus, you know, the tax collector had become a, you know, a a public follower of Christ. And so everybody knew about Jesus, even in those that were not openly religious. Um, And so, yeah, it sort of seems that, you know, that there were these two thieves and one of them clearly was just mocking Jesus, even on the cross. One of them was clearly a hardened criminal. But the other one, it seems was not totally hardened. His but, he, ha- but even though he was hardened criminal, he still recognised that they claimed he was a Messiah or they were yeah. claimed he was a Messiah. The, yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Um, and so, yeah, so it's just so amazing that this, that this one, the other one, whose heart was apparently still open to, um, to you know, salvation and who had heard about Jesus, but perhaps his friends had turned him away all of a sudden there he is on the cross beside Jesus. Mm, interesting. Well, let's turn now to verse 43. This is the verse which has the controversy. And um, it implies that Jesus was going to take the thief uh, to paradise that day. That's correct. Yeah. John, explain what does it mean here? What's going on? OK, let's just look at that verse again. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And uh, you'll notice that this view, or the understanding comes from the punctuation and there are no commas in the Greek. So if you put the comma before today, it is implying that it's going to happen right then and then. However, if you put the comma after today, it reads like this. Verily I say unto thee today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. So there's a very distinct difference there. Today makes it entirely, putting the comma after today, makes it entirely consistent with the doctrine of the resurrection and other Bible passages. That's mm. important to note. Mm. So it's, mm. there's a consistency there if you put it after today. Mm. Mm. And good point. And Kylie, the Bible also says something about when he did go to heaven. Tell us about that. Yeah, so Jesus uh, is really clear from the Bible that Jesus did not himself go to heaven that day. Um, So we know that he did die that day. The thieves, their legs were broken to hasten their death. Mm. So they did die that day. But then on the Sunday morning, you know, the first day of the week when Jesus was raised to life, uh, he actually appeared to the women and later to his disciples 
And it says in John chapter 20 and verse 17, when Jesus was speaking to Mary Magdalene, it says, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father. So Jesus himself had not yet returned to heaven. Uh, yeah, he, he didn't go there when he died. And we know Jesus doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the explanation that you gave, John, would be the explanation. It's yeah, I just want to add to that. If you if you turn with me in the Bible, John chapter six and verses 40 mm. and 41, oh, mainly 40. Let's read mm. it there. And this is the will of him that sent me that everyone which seeth, seeketh the son and believeth on him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up in the last day. Mm. That's confirmation of what the Bible is saying in relation to that earlier text by putting the comma after mm. today. It's very yeah, important. Not, not raising him up that day he dies. That's right. The last day when Christ mm. returns. But actually, if, you know, today, Jesus made the promise to that thief today. He had that assurance while he was on the cross. Mm. I think that's really very, powerful. Very powerful. So, John, staying with you, what is the real message then of the thief on the cross? Well, let's have a look at um, John uh, 3.16. Their message is in implication to this. And it says, and you, most people know this verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. So it's, it, it becomes evident, despite the fact that the thief had nothing to offer God, Nothing at all. Mm. He was the most un, in a un, most uncompromising situation. He believed. And what does the Bible we just read say? That Jesus was the Lamb of God, the Messiah. Because of this, he was promised eternal life by Christ. The true message of this story is salvation by faith. Mm. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's keep moving. We're going to move to our next contrary passage now. Turn with me to Philippians. We're going to read Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 24. And it says, and this is Paul speaking, and it says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labour. Yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I am in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more peaceful for you. Now, John, uh, sorry, Carly, um, is this teaching us that uh, when we die, we go straight to heaven? Is this teaching immortality of soul? Is this uh, we die, life is instant? What's happening here? Yeah, so, well, I mean, now we're on to Paul. Um, and so it's interesting to compare other things that Paul has to say about the resurrection. And it's really clear from other passages that Paul wrote that um, that the resurrection occurs at the, at, you know, at the second coming. Mm. So, for instance, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 to 18 Um, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So our comfort actually is in, uh, you know, 
in the resurrection. That's where we find our comfort. And actually, we did read one fantastic verse actually just this morning. First uh, uh, Corinthians 15 and verse 23. It says those who are Christ will be raised at his coming. Mm. Yeah, mm. I like those verses. It's yeah. really encouraging. And it says comfort one another with these words. Yeah. 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 So it's all going to happen when Jesus, when Jesus returns. returns. Mm. John, let's look at verse 23. He says, for I'm in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. What incorrect assumption do people make here when they read this verse? Well, that when we die, we immediately go to heaven. It's, it's, a, it's a, a doctrine that's taught by many, many in this world. But Paul verbalizes his desire to leave these, trouble, uh, these present troubles of existence and be with Christ. Okay. But you have to look at his statement in context with everything else he wrote on the subject. It's if death is asleep, as Jesus said, when we do die, time will be meaningless. And the next conscious uh, existence we have is the resurrection. So I just want to turn to Second um, Timothy 4, 8. And I'll read it. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but all to them, uh, unto all them also that love his appearing. You know, it, it is, Paul was very clear. He would not receive the reward until the second coming. Mm, mm. Interesting, interesting. Mm. So, Kylie, why would Paul say he'd prefer to die? Uh, well, the life of Paul was not easy. He was really persecuted for his faith. So in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8, it says, We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. And then I think it's in 2 Corinthians uh, is it? 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. And Paul is talking about, you know, all of the things that he suffered for Christ. Um, he suffered a tremendous amount. So, I mean, you know, there's just no comparison between the, the life here on earth and the life in heaven. So it's obviously, you know, much more pleasant to be in heaven and, you know, believing that death is asleep and that you don't know anything you know, from the time that you die until the second coming, then, you know, Paul's looking at those two. He's not looking mm. at the space in between. OK, so it's quite clear that so far we haven't had any sort of indication that there's immortality of the soul. All right, let's move on to our, um, our, be our final sort of contrary passage today. And this we're looking at now, First Peter 3. And this section is actually from verse 13 down to verse 20, but I'm going to pick up the story from verse 18. And it says, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirit. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing within, a, within few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Now, when you sort of read this and there's other, there's other versions which indicate that um, it's implying that Christ, when he died, became some disembodied spirit mm. and he went and he preached to the disembodied spirit somewhere to those that lived before the, the flood. And um, it implies that there may be a hell exists. It implies, too, that there could be a second chance after we die because Christ goes to preach to us. Um, is there a second chance, John, when we die? Well, 
if we look at Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, and it says, And it was appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. When we die, our future destiny is fixed. We've just gone through all the texts to say that we, we're in the grave asleep. We don't know anything. There's nothing we think about, etc. And then the next event after this is the judgment. So there is no returning holding place or hell for disembodied spirits. If that was so, why didn't Christ also preach to the spirits who lived after the flood? You mentioned mm, before mm, the flood mm. while he was there. If we have rejected Christ while we're living, while living, there is no second chance uh, after death. Mm. It's very clear. Why would Jesus preach to those who had no more chance of mm. being saved? It doesn't make sense. It's interesting. Romans 2 verse 6 says, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Mm-hmm. That's deeds in this life, not That's deeds right. in an afterlife. Mm. Mm. So what does the Bible say about immortality, Kylie? Well, 1 Timothy 6.16 says that only God has immortality. And uh, when we die, our thoughts perish. So if we look at Job chapter 14 and verses 10 to 12, it says, But man dies and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last. And where is he? As water disappears from the sea and a river becomes parched and dries up, so man lies down and does not rise. Till the heavens are no more, they will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. And also in Romans chapter 2, I think it's verse 8, it says that those who are righteous, that they seek for immortality. You know, why seek something that you already have? Mm, Okay. So to be consistent with scripture, how are we to interpret this passage, John? Well, the spirit in prison uh, of 1 Peter 3, 19 is identified in verse 20 as the disobedient, the antediluvians in uh, in the days of Noah. The term spirit in the Greek uh, pneuma is used in this text and elsewhere in the New Testament. Uh, For example, 1 Corinthians 16, 18 and Galatians 6, 18 in reference to living people who can hear and accept the invitation of salvation. The expression in prison obviously refers to not a literal person, a prison, but the prison of sin. Each one of us is in, is in, we're, we're under that situation with the unregenerate human nature as found in Romans 6, 1, 23 and Romans 7, 7 to 25. Christ preaching to the impenitent antediluvians was accomplished through Noah because Noah was told to preach for 120 years. Um, Uh, and became a preacher of righteousness to his um, contemporaries. That was found in uh, 2 Peter 2.5. You know, it it becomes very clear that we need to understand the context of how all these passages that we've discussed come in relation to the whole Bible. And we can see very clearly that, you know, we are, you know, we could easily be deceived, like I never knew very much, of the Bible before, but when I read it, if someone read those passages to me and used as an explanation, I probably would have believed it until I looked and examined the whole of the Bible or someone explained it to me, Rod. Yeah, you would have gone off on a different tangent with the way you're interpreting the, the Bible. That's right. 
Well, look, that's all we've got time for. Very interesting discussion. Thank you, John. Thank you, Kylie. Understanding these passages highlights the importance, as John said, of comparing difficult sections of Scripture with all other references. And by examining the context and comparing with other related texts, we come to understand the essential message to be conveyed. The Bible is the inspired Word of God, and we can have complete confidence in the integrity of its teachings. We encourage you to read and study your Bible daily. Thank you for joining us on Let God Speak. Remember, all past programs plus teachers' notes are available on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. Email us if you wish on lgs at 3abnaustralia.org.au. Join us again next time. God bless. We look forward to seeing you again. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.